This is the Bates Bobcast, our weekly podcast where we take a look at the week that was in Bates Athletics. My name is Aaron Morse, and this week we're previewing the NCAA Outdoor Track and Field Championships, plus a look at facilities upgrades with Assistant AD for Facilities and Club Sports, Scott Lehman. All that and more coming up on the Bates Bobcast. The Bates Track and Field Program is sending three Bobcats to the NCAA Outdoor Track and Field Championships this Thursday through Saturday in Geneva, Ohio. For the women, senior captain Aiden Eikhoff is seated second in the 1,500-meter run. On the men's side, longtime friends, junior captain Brendan Donahue and sophomore John Rex will compete in the decathlon and the hammer throw, respectively. All three Bobcats join the Bobcast to preview the last track and field meet of the year. Well, John, we're going to start with you because we had Brendan on last week, and he mentioned that, something I did not know, that you two scooped ice cream together when you were in high school in New Hampshire, uh, and he told he said you just walked in one day, and uh, they, they hired you to do it, and you, you, two, you became fast friends. How did it happen from your perspective? I've been going up to Wolfboro my whole life, and there's this ice cream shop that's always been in town, and I wanted to work at it, so I... Um, I kind of knew of the boss through through just like living there my whole life so I and we were also very frequent customers so I just reached out to her and then um she interviewed me and I got a job and I walked in the first person I met was Brendan like I was I was thinking earlier to myself like I never I didn't even like I mean I met Brendan my junior year of high school or going into my junior year and I didn't even think that I was going to do track in college at that point so it's crazy to now be going to nationals together and then like it would be crazy to go back into that time period and just be like hey did you know like we're going to go to nationals together <laughs> in three or four years you know so I understand that Brendan really kind of sold you on Bates a little bit there because he's a year older yeah uh yeah it certainly it certainly had a lot more um incentive going to Bates knowing that one of my best friends was there yeah, he definitely, he definitely uh, persuaded me a bit, and also, yeah, I think I've mentioned this before, but my college counselor was also Batesy, so right. I had a lot of, um, I had a lot of push at Bates, and I also really liked it. So, and then Brendan, what'd you tell Coach Fresh about John? Because I understand Coach Fresh tells me that you kind of sold him on him. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So I, um, Johnny is one of the most raw athletic people I've ever encountered. Um, the kid can do backflips just willy-nilly, and he also can tumble. He can even tumble better than some cheerleaders, um, that <laughs> I know, um, which is pretty impressive feat. Um, and he's, I, I just thought that like a lot of times he hadn't given, given the opportunity he deserved in college, or, in, or particularly in high school, excuse me, um, in terms of athletics, and I think that he needed a coach who was going to encourage him and then kind of take his talents, take the ability that he had to the next level. And he's like a very dedicated, hardworking kid. So it's just like Fresh is the perfect guy for him. Um, and so I was like, you should maybe reach out if you, this is something you're interested in. And in terms of him coming here, that was only that was on his own merits. Um, I like to say that I had played a part, but um, the reality is um, I just, I locked out so I can go to college with one of my good friends. So <laughs> Great, great. And so obviously we got three folks going to Nationals. Aiden, you've decided this year to run the 1500 instead of the 800. Take us through that. 
process of decision making? Yeah. So after, so I originally was going to do the 800. That was my plan about a couple weeks ago. And I have always wanted to break that 210 barrier and thought that this would be the year. And essentially I ran a pretty fast 1500 at um, opens and the conversation really just changed going forward where, you know, being high, highly ranked was an advantage. So we, we decided that the 1500, um, has a little bit more rest. I have some, some leg speed that a few of the others may not have for that final 100, especially if they're coming down from a 5k or longer distances. And I'm going up from sort of mid, more mid distance. So, um, we just sort of decided and went with it, but I do, I do always think what if, so we'll see how this week goes. Well, some people who might not understand track, uh, we might be like, why not run both races? Why not run both races? So it's possible. And yeah. I think there are at least two people I know who mm. are doing the double. Um, and for me, I just wanted to take some time to really enjoy this trip and not be stressed every day. Um, having, four races, potentially four races, really takes a physical toll. But I think for me, it more takes a mental toll where I'm thinking, oh, like, how am I going to get through this next race? I feel very tired. And then that stress sort of has a feedback mechanism. So I really, I wanted to pick just one and really focus on that. We got one event, 1500. We got one event, the hammer throw. We got 10 events over here, the decathlon. <laughs> Brendan, how are you going about this week? I know you, you all leaving pretty early, right? Tuesday, tomorrow, recording this on Monday or tomorrow at noon, it's Tuesday. So what's your approach to this week here? I mean, it's an experience and um, I'm lucky to be able to go down with these two. Um, and I'm super excited to be able to compete at the national stage. Um, also looking forward to competing with the guy from USM, um, there's going to be three of us from New England, so kind of feeding off either those guys' energy will be fun. When the time comes around, um, at the end of the day, it's just relying on all the training that I've done throughout the year and just having confidence in the fact that um, I'm at a good stage to be competing with these guys. So um, really looking forward to the, my first opportunity. You told me the 10 events. Is Hammer one of them? Uh, unfortunately not. not I, I always, yeah. I always, although although okay. in the w- winter, yeah. I try to convince Johnny to – do a secret uh, uh, weight throw session with me, but he, he declined, and uh, that was probably for the best. Um, you two do work together somewhat because he does some throwing events, right? Yeah. Yeah, what's that like? It's awesome. Uh, it's awesome when Brendan, Brendan always starts a decathlon early, so I get to sort of, you know, uh, relax him and give him some pointers as well in between his throws because I, I usually get to watch a lot of his throws because I compete after him. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely awesome having and honestly, Brendan is Brendan's a good thrower. Like he's not just a decathlete who throws. Like he he could be a thrower at Bates, and he he's made a lot of uh, significant jumps, uh, especially this year in the javelin, in the discus, and the shot put. He just keeps getting better. So it's awesome to see that, and I. And I love, I love helping him through the throwing events in the deck. It's awesome. Yeah, great. And for you personally, how has the hammer been progressing this year for you? Um, it's been good. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, um, you know, you'd think it's a lot of aggression and rage that goes into the throw. <laughs> but the hammer throw is kind of different because it's more of a patience and relaxation. There's a lot of patience and relaxation in the event itself. And... Um, then that's where it's sort of different from the shot put and the discus. Um, 
And, you know, really all three of the events are different, but uh, Hammer's been going really well this year, and it's one of those events where just with more reps, you you get more comfortable in the throw. And um, I've sort of gotten to the point where I'm not specifically trying to keep my footwork tight and smooth, but it's just sort of, uh, that's sort of just becoming second nature, so that's a really good feeling. Excellent. Well, we got, um, you know, sophomore, junior, and senior here, Aiden, so this will be your final meet yes. at Bates. What are, your, what are your kind of thoughts on that, and obviously coming right back for graduation? Yes, I actually had my last track workout today, which mm-hmm. I haven't fully, fully worked through, um, but... I am just so excited to be able to travel with people, but especially yeah. these people. Um, it is they have been so so supportive throughout my season and my career. But you know, it's gonna it's gonna take me some time to transition, and there really will be sort of finding how running is gonna fit later into my life. But. I'm really, really excited to be able to end my Bates career on this note. Brendan, you know, Aiden mentioned that you two have, you know, been very supportive. What's it like uh, seeing her, what she's been doing this year? Oh, I mean, it's awesome. Um, you you look for leaders on this team in this program, um, especially over the past three years for me. Um, I was very intimidated by Aiden at first, just not, not because of her personality. She's the most genuine, <laughs> sweetest human being I know. But um, the reality is she's very competitive and she's a great athlete. Um, and so she'll give her all in every race. And that's that's been a real testament to see as, as I try to embody that when I run. Um, I'm not a great runner, but also just having those 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 distance runners and mid-distance runners to look up to and be like, hey, if Aiden can run a 430, I can I can try to break five. Um, so, yeah, no, that's that's been awesome to watch. And as a leader on this team, definitely something I look at was is seeing her, the way she's led this team the past few years. So, yeah. It's interesting because, obviously, you know, men's team, Al's the head coach, women's team, Jay's the head coach. But, John, it seems like there is a lot of, you know, overlap in terms of working out and together and whatnot, especially, I imagine, among the throwers. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I mean, the throwers are just kind of one big family, like of the guys and the girls all – throw together Katie Hughes and Genesis are some of my really good friends um and you know I wish we had more more girl throwers but only 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 two and soon to <laughs> soon no actually we'll we'll have some more next year I'm oh, sure nice. yeah but um but yeah it's it's awesome I love I love the girls team Aiden's great and like Brendan was saying she's just someone who's so inspirational and you know out of the three of us Aiden's going into nationals with the highest seed and a very high seed and like that's only something like and to and also to be a high seed in the 800 as well is just a really incredible feat and she's just always does the right thing and has just been an incredible leader and it's kind of amazing because she she Tries to keep it low key, but I know that deep inside she really loves the sport, and she she goes into a race. She knows who she's racing with, who she needs to beat. She knows all about her competitors going into the race. So she yeah she's she's been awesome this year and in the years past, and I'm glad I got to get closer to her this year. Um, and you know I think for Brendan and I we can only aspire to. Be as be as awesome as she is, you know. Yeah. Well, Aiden, you know, John mentioned that you know about all your competitors. So, who are some of the competitors we got you gotta watch out for this weekend? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the probably the top ranked person in the fifteen hundred is Emily Bryson of Brandeis, and she has just really, really led the New England sort of mile fifteen hundred for this entire year. Um, and has run a 
quite a few seconds faster than me, but has just has this sort of quiet but very powerful energy when she runs. So she's definitely someone I'm basically trying to stick to for as long as possible. That's that's how I think of her. Um, and the other that I've um, competed a lot with, as we've talked about, yeah. is Anna Passananti, I believe is how it's pronounced. Um, and she is so nice, but it's also someone we always end up point oh something either way in every single one of our races um she is one of the athletes doing the double so it'll be very interesting mm. to see <laughs> um but she did it in indoor and she did it very well in mm. indoor so i it's it's a tough it's a tough field especially from the new england side so well and john mentioned the, the high seed you have you're the two seed right mm-hmm. so you know top eight gets get all american but at this point you have to be thinking about more than just top eight, right? <laughs> that is sort of my strategy yeah. with um, the Brandeis athlete. I'm yeah. just, we'll see. It's it's mm-hmm. easy for me to think like, oh, maybe I'll try to outkick someone at the end. But she is just so strong that she doesn't need that kick necessarily. She And she runs really fast, 800. But um, she is just, she just has it the whole time. She has that pace where I might try to save a little bit for the end. She doesn't seem like she needs to as much. Um, but yeah, no, I, I am looking at potentially a top three finish, and that's really exciting for me. Excellent. And Brendan, you know, for your, for your goals, your first trip to nationals, uh, these two have been before. This is your first trip, right? So what, what's kind of going through your mind in terms of what you would be satisfied with, I guess, this weekend? I mean, honestly, the, the nature of the decathlon in any multi-event is to continue to PR in each event. Yeah. Um, so cumulatively, I'd like to PR again. Um, but in terms of just gaining experience, um, that's huge. Um, but beyond that, there's a lot of mobility in terms of the guys from, from 17th all the way up to to ninth. Um, so really just beat my seat as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that's the reality. I just want mobility is key, um, especially in this event. So I've been, I've been told before it's hard to PR at nationals. I don't know if you guys agree with that assessment or what your thoughts are. I know in throws, we've had some big PRs in the past. I know David Pless stands out when he was a sophomore, right? I think it can be hard to PR at nationals. It can be hard to perform in general at nationals mm-hmm. if you let the competition get to you or if you completely ignore the competition. You have to find this perfect balance in between, you know, like being nervous but also channeling those nerves and, and taking that energy and putting it into your performance. And I think that can either make or break you as an athlete on the big stage. And uh, at least um, for me, I think indoors, I was a little too uh, relaxed at nationals just because I didn't put any pressure on myself. But now I think I think as an athlete, like I take um, – I started – take the nerves and I, I, that's when I do well and I channel it into my performance. And I'm definitely looking to do that uh, as I go again this the second trip. And I think also it, it'll just be a different experience, like not, I'm, I'm a little bit of a higher seed this time. Mm-hmm. So um, it'll, it'll be, I, I can see top eight more in striking and more in striking range sure. than I did indoors. And that's a really good feeling. And I definitely, you know, it's, it's tough because I haven't had, um, the 
greatest progression this season. Like I PR'd very early mm-hmm. on and haven't PR'd since, but I've been very consistent. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm a firm believer in the fact that you need to get worse before you get better. And I've been making a lot of adjustments, a lot of changes in my throw that I think long-term will serve me better purpose. So hopefully we, with that, uh, that all clicks this week and yeah, and get after it. Excellent. Well, any other thoughts for each of you on uh, NCAAs coming up? We'll start with Aiden. Yeah, well, sort of to speak to um, how hard it is to PR at nationals, especially in some of the running events, it really comes down to strategy, and um, it really depends on if you're running for your time or you're running for your place, and sometimes you don't get to make that choice necessarily. Um, For the 1500 prelim, the top four from each heat progress, and then the next four times total. Mm -hmm. So ideally, if you get that fourth spot, you do the least amount of work to make it to the final, and that is some people's entire strategy going Mm -hmm. into it versus I really need to PR to get into the final, which it really just depends on where you're seated and how the race plays out. But it certainly becomes... A, a nerves thing, a strategy thing, and just being able to react to the environment. And Brendan, your final thoughts on the Nationals coming up here? Yeah, no, I mean, a huge part of it for me is just composure, generally speaking. Um, I, I understand that you can get intimidated, you can get, I can feel like I'm laid back at the meet, but the reality comes I'm, I'm going to be competitive, um, and I'm just excited for another opportunity to compete. And yeah, we'll see where it goes. <laughs> John? I'm just, yeah, I'm really excited. Um, indoors, I was I was all alone. I was the only guy. I had Aiden, but I didn't have Brendan. I'm super excited to be going to Nationals with Brendan and Aiden. It's just a really good squad. And I, I know whatever happens, we're all going to be there for each other. We're all going to be supportive, and it's going to be a really good time, really positive experience. With spring sports coming to a close at the end of the month, the Department of Athletics is hard at work to make the student-athlete experience even better next fall with a variety of projects scheduled for completion over the summer. Assistant AD for Facilities and Club Sports, Scott Lehman, discusses some of the changes we can expect to see. Scott, first of all, before we get into the facilities, tell me a little bit about your background. You were at Towson previously, but not working in athletics. What attracted you to come to Bates? And, you know, you, you were in the athletics before and then to reenter it here almost a year ago. Yeah, so I've been at Bates for about a year, and I'm currently the assistant athletic director of facilities and recreation. So I have my hands in a lot of different areas across athletic operations and all of the recreation, club sport, intramural side. And my background is a big mixture of both in that I started out in athletics at a Division One school, um, worked at a Division Three and a Division Two school, all in athletics, and then I went to Towson University where I was at for about four years and was the assistant director of facilities in their campus recreation department, which was separated from athletics. But while I was there, we did open a 100,000 square foot um, expansion of our recreation facilities. So I have a strong background in facility you know, projects, facility management. Um, and so the coming to Bates, it was getting to be back in athletics. I'm a competitive person. I you know, enjoy the, the, the game day atmosphere. I enjoy working more with students and student athletes. And then I get to do the best of both worlds of athletics and recreation. Um, and then it was just a, a different experience within Maine, within a small liberal arts school, um, which is unlike any other school I've been at. Um, and then the opportunity to kind of come and, and transform and develop and grow some of the operations and some of the, uh, definitely the facilities and make some improvements. 
So you've been at every level, Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three. What are some similarities, differences you've noticed over those times? It's very, very different. Yeah. Um, I'd say, you know, a lot of the schools I've been at have been public um, versus the private, small, liberal arts schools. And so your your campus culture is definitely different. Your amount of resources, but then also the the collaboration. You know, at the bigger schools, um, Division One level, your job is is very singularly focused. You're there to do one thing and one thing only. Whereas at these, you know, Division three schools, everybody has their hand in a lot of different things, which makes it more interesting. Yeah. You get to have a wider impact. You get to collaborate more across campus, be involved in a lot more, interact with more people. And so it, it's the day to day is a little bit more exciting and engaging versus just doing a, a, a one task all the time. Sure. And so obviously you were spearheading these projects we have coming up. Uh, starting with, um, you know, kind of the nitty-gritty, right, sports, medicine, Merrill Gym need a little bit more space to do their work, right? We have a great staff here, an expand, expanded staff now, but you saw obviously a need for more space. So how did that all develop? Yeah, so that was um, kind of came around from the administration doing an external review of our sports medicine program and realizing that the, the safety and the you know, experience of the student athletes within our sports medicine just wasn't, wasn't being met, wasn't up to the standard. And so when I started and Nick Cook, our assistant athletic director of athletic performance started, that was one of the first things that the, you know, the administration talked to us about was how can we get some more space here? And it's not just space to just you know, do some taping or just offices, it's space to truly provide care and rehabilitation and treatment and you know, physical therapy to student athletes and club sport athletes at a much higher level, much higher, you know, better quality. And rather than just doing this um, you know, care after they get hurt, it's a lot more of the preventive care, the up, you know, taking initiative ahead of time to get people prepared for their seasons. And so we looked heavily at, you know, where could we possibly expand this? And, you know, Nick Cook was very firm in that, you know, he wanted to have a sole like, home for athletic training rather than being spread out across our, our three facilities. So we focused on Merrill and how we could create that, you know, more square footage, more treatment and rehab space for all the student athletes to kind of come in and meet with the sports medicine staff. And that's getting creative, repurposing what the, the recreational squash court, which obviously is not necessarily needed because the squash teams obviously have their squash center they've had for a number of years now. Yeah, it was a difficult decision to to take away a recreational kind of squash and racquetball court in Merrill. That you know there are definitely some users on campus, and but you know we are scrapped for space all over the place, and so we kind of evaluated the usage, the impact. There's you know formulas based on amount of users per square foot, yeah. and we kind of looked at all of that and what are our alternatives are and realized that this was the best space in order to have it here in Merrill give us the amount of space we needed without you know having to kind of build something new or completely repurpose something so overall this was the best option. Well, speaking of getting creative the new turf surface is coming to Underhill when it's not hockey season it's going to be turf and it's going to really benefit everyone isn't it? Yeah I, I can't remember if it was my idea or <laughs> if somebody incepted this into my brain but you know Underhill is one of the most underutilized buildings on campus. You know, it's used four months out of the year for, for an ice arena, and then it just sits there like a bunch of concrete. Yeah. And so we really looked at you know, what, what can we do with this space to make it more multi-purpose, get a lot more teams in there, um, a lot more use out of it. And I had heard about some modular turf, which is 
you can it comes in these turf tiles you can put it down like a puzzle and then whenever you want to take it up you just take them up um, and store them away and this will allow us to do a, you know have a year-round use of that space you know it's 18,000 square feet it can be used for every everything we do which is you know the varsity sports clubs intramurals fitness just open recreation we can you know, bring in some outside groups, PE classes, whatever we need. We now have you know, a 12-month facility to kind of use for our operations. Yeah, I'm sure the varsity teams are already looking forward to book space in there, aren't they? <laughs> Absolutely. Everybody's going to be scrapping at the bit, I'm sure. But it, it's not only going to you know, give us more opportunity to do stuff in there, but it's going to free up then space uh, in our other buildings, from yeah. the Great Cage to, the, to Merrill Gym to some of the outdoor spaces. We now will be able to take on, you know, more more teams, more more groups to be able to do more things, more opportunities for recreation, and so it's just going to, you know, transform kind of everything we do. And then this fall, the soccer teams who play on Russell Street Field, they're going to have a whole nice new surface, aren't they? Absolutely, yeah. We're going to um, sports field specialties is going to be putting in some new natural grass for us. Um, it's a main based, you know main grown grass um, surface so they're going to strip it down and put in some new sod throughout the summer um, and this really was stemmed from not only just the uh, you know the a having a competitive facility that you know plays well but it's also also a safety thing mm -hmm. the field was old it had a lot of divots um, it was tough to keep up with it and so this well, we're, we're able to do this now to give our soccer teams like a truly competitive soccer field certainly and then Back to indoors, actually, the Davis Fitness Center, which is in Underhill. Um, that's obviously a great spot for athletes to train everything, but it's going to get a little bit of a makeover as well, isn't it? Yeah, we're going to do a, a, as much as we can in there with uh, with limited space and limited equipment, but we're going to be pulling out some of our the cubbies and putting in some different day-use lockers in a different location so we can open up the space more, um, have some more of a functional training aspect to do TRX, you know, wall slams with med balls, box jumps, and then we're also going to be putting in a small section of turf, about 700 square feet of a short mm -hmm. turf, um, in order to do all this functional training and just different things to, for you know athletic performance and you know strength and conditioning and just kind of give us a different element within there. So Underhill will be practically unrecognizable when people come back in the fall. You got the main arena with turf, and you got upstairs the Davis Fitness Center also with some renovations. And last, and I think actually probably the most exciting, at least for me, because Alumni Gym. At the center of campus, basketball games, obviously huge there, volleyball as well. The lobby is going to be quite the place to celebrate Bates Athletics, isn't it? Absolutely. The The lobby of Alumni Gym was in desperate need of a makeover. Um, in this past, last summer, we were able to redo the floor mm -hmm. and, and re, re kind of revitalate the, uh, the gymnasium itself, and now we needed the lobby to match. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we were able to completely renovate that space, all new flooring and finishes, kind of give it a, a modern look, but also kind of maintain that history of the building that was built in 1926. And so the space looks incredible. Um, it just wrapped up now. We have a beautiful trophy case, a beautiful kind of displays in there. And I think it'll really be a, a really good welcoming space and gathering space for for our, our staff, faculty, students, student athletes, their families, and recruits. You've been kind of doing double duty as an archivist here also, looking through some of the old trophies and stuff, right? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> you, you don't realize uh, how many trophies you have um, until you start digging through some boxes. We actually yeah. found a, a Maine State Tennis Championship from 1899 um, today that we will have on display. Wow. Yeah. For the team or an individual or what was it? It was for the team, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 1899. Incredible, yeah. Nice, yeah. Long history, obviously, of sports uh, here at Bates going back to the 19th century there. Well, Scott, obviously, uh, alumni who probably listen to this are wondering, 
So you're doing all this. What's next on your plate? What, what else are you looking for for the near future? Maybe in you know a few years out. I, we're we're always looking to make some improvements here, um, and you know we're working with you know people across campus to just figure out how we can better utilize our spaces, make some updates, create a better student experience. Um, so we you know I don't have any specific um, examples that I can share at the moment, but I'll, I'll tell you our list is full, yeah. um, and we're always just looking for you know how we can better serve the, the students and the student athletes create that that you know holistic kind of healthy health and wellness lifestyle and then certainly how we can create better more competitive teams for our varsity sports all right scott lemon thank you so much thank you the bates baseball team received a number of honors from the nescac with junior captain catcher jack Arend named first team all nescac for the second straight year Arend was also named the conference's co Defensive Player of the Year. Junior pitcher Nolan Collins and sophomore outfielder Christian Beal also earned spots on the All-NESCAC first team. Capping off the honors, head coach John Martin was named the conference's Coach of the Year after the Bobcats finished NESCAC East play with a 9-3 record, the best in team history. Coach, first of all, congratulations on earning NESCAC Coach of the Year. What does that honor mean to you, and what does that say about what the team did this season there in the NESCAC? Well, it means a lot. I mean, I think anytime you, you know, you get recognized for for what you do every day, day in and day out, you know, it's it's a good feeling. But, you know, for me, I mean, I think it just shows the effort, um, the determination, the, uh, the, the passion that my players have because um, they're easy to coach. And when they're easy to coach and you're getting results that you want and, um, you know, you're winning games and, and uh, the guys seem to be enjoying themselves and, and enjoy coming to work every day, you know, that, that's kind of what makes it all work. And, and uh, so when you win an award like that, it's great. It's a good feeling. But, I mean, it's it's all because of the players I have. And um, without them, none of this would be possible anyway. Well, speaking of those players, uh, junior captain Jack Aaron got NESCAC co-defensive player of the year along with first-team all-NESCAC catcher. Obviously, he's a real vocal leader out there. What else did he bring to the table? He really looks like his batting average obviously went way up and that on-base remained high for him this year. Yeah, Jack is, uh, he, he, I mean, he's one of the best players in the NESCAC, there's no doubt about it, if not the best all around. And um, true, true leader, has total passion for the game, loves baseball, plays hard, practices hard, um, does the little things, you know, prepares himself mentally and physically every week to get ready. Um, I mean, he's catching almost every game, if, you know, four out of five games at least on the season. Um, I mean, his, just his, his attitude, his presence alone is, is, is a huge factor in our success. And um, Jack is um, he's a first-class guy off the field and um, just knows that, that he's at base for a reason. And one of the big reasons he chose to come here, obviously, was academically, but um, he wanted to play baseball. And he wanted to help lead this team uh, to places it's never been. And, and he's doing that now. So he's a great one. Certainly 9-3 in the NESCAC East this year. Christian Beal, sophomore coming uh, from Miami, Ohio, and junior Nolan Collins, also first team all NESCAC. I mean, Nolan looked, I mean, he was just lights out, seemed like all year, and then Christian uh, provides that spark you need, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, part of my philosophy when we're putting a team together is to be strong up the middle, and that starts um, with catcher pitching, middle infield, and, and center field. Um, those need to be your best athletes and best all-around players on the field as much as possible. And um, Nolan, I mean, another one that I think he's as good as any pitcher in this conference and one of the best pitchers in the region, to be honest with you. Um, and then Christian, I mean, defensively, he's very solid. 
um, offensively. I mean, I think he hit like 370 this year. Great year um, offensively. And yeah, he's a spark plug. I mean, he's got an attitude. He's got a little bit of swagger out on the field. And um, I knew when it was a, a possibility that he could come to Bates that I knew that we were going to get a player that had that kind of attitude and, and provided that spark, and which I think we needed um, coming off of the last year. So um, all three of them are very deserving of those awards. They're great players. They paced us all year long. They, they pushed each other. They pushed the rest of the team. Um, so we're proud of them and, and glad what they accomplished this year. And they're all coming back next year, which has got to be nice. Absolutely. That's, that's a good thing. So yeah. it's nice to know that we've got all three of them at least for another year. Now, you did have some seniors who were obviously big-time contributors, whether it be like Brendan Smith, Justin Foley on the mound, Justin White at the top of the order. Uh, you know, what mark did you see these guys leave on the program uh, you know, during their time? What a great group of yeah. guys. Um, I got really lucky coming here inheriting this, this team um, with with some just great kids that I knew that they, they had great energy, they loved to play, and, and obviously some talent. Um, and these five guys, um, they only played one year for the previous coach and, and uh, three for me. Um, they adapted well to the change. Um, they brought a good attitude every day. Even when things maybe weren't going their way, um, they still pushed and, and were there for the team and had a team mentality. Um, and this year alone, I mean, they knew that this was their last year to try to do it and to try to get back in the championships and, and try to get as, as much accomplished as we could. And even if maybe at some point in the season they weren't a starter or they weren't an everyday player, they showed up every day with a good attitude. And, um, and they were really a, just a big part of our team um, leadership and, and, and providing kind of a, um, kind of a, a, a fatherly figure, if you want to say, to some of the freshmen and some, or first years and some of the younger guys um, to help them adapt coming to Bates. And, and I'm really proud of them the way they handled this year. And, and, um, and we, got, we reached our goal to play postseason baseball, which was a big deal for me um, and for them. And I think, uh, I think the world of these guys, they're, they're a great group. Yeah, the other two seniors I didn't mention being, obviously, the closer, Alex Simon, captain, and then Dan Truly as well, you know, right. who played a little bit different role this year. But did you see yeah. him kind of mentor Gotti a little bit there at the corner? Yeah, uh, Dan, Dan's just, I mean, he's a first-class individual all the way around. Um, good player. I mean, he's had a good career. You know, obviously his senior year didn't go as, as everyone had hoped or had he had hoped, but, but he still was a huge factor in our success and um, got a good chunk of the at-bats this year and, and um, you know, just was a, was a great teammate. And, um, I mean, I, I think he, he handled everything terrifically. He's, he's just he's an awesome human being. He's going to be very successful, obviously, in whatever he chooses to do. And um, Simon as well, bullpen pitcher for us. Um, he was uh, kind of came in in the pressure spots late in games. Um, you know, I, I'm sure he wanted to get you know some starter innings and bulk or more of a bulk of an innings um, as he pitched this year. But but he came in those pressure spots and did a great job for us. Certainly. Well, obviously the the season ended. Um, you know, a couple tough games there in the NESCAC tournament. Um, honestly, both those games, the final score is very misleading. I thought I mean, it was a neck neck and neck game for about you know seven out of the nine innings, right? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think, I mean, one of these years we're going to figure out how to do this thing. We, um, you know, we just we just kind of just didn't get it done. I don't really know how else to say it. Um, yeah, I don't really care what the score was. Whether I mean, yeah. it can be just as devastating. You lose sure. two to one in 15 innings as it can be to get blown out. So, right. you know, it doesn't really matter. When you get to tournament play, a loss is a loss, a win is a win. It doesn't matter how you do it. You just got to get the job done. So we'll be back soon enough, I know. And, um, 
you know, with a clean slate, and, and we'll go at it again. Well, what do you say to your team, you know, after that Middlebury game there in, in Waterville? Uh, you just kind of tell them that, you know, we accomplished a lot this year, and, you know, the ending is not the body of work. It's yeah. it's everything that we did from the beginning of the year. So, um, you know, I just thanked all the seniors and, and thanked the guys and told them, like, you know, our expectations this year um, were what they were, and we you know, we reached those expectations. But, you know, playing postseason baseball for me and for this program is every year. That's an expectation. It's That's how I'm going to measure our win and loss success on the field is if are we playing in the postseason with a chance to win something significant or not. Um, and we've been able to do it my first three years here. Um, so I think that that's kind of the standard now is that we expect to get in the NESCAC tournament and have a chance to win a championship. John Martin, thanks so much. All right, thank you. Bates men's lacrosse captains Matt Lestava, Rocco Fantoni, and Curtis Napton earned all NESCAC and all New England honors in a year that saw the Bobcats finish with an overall record of 10-5. and five. Bates has won 10 or more games in four of the last five years. Head coach Peter Lasagna recaps the season. Coach, the NESCAC, we always talk about how strong it is. It might have been the strongest it's ever been this season. I don't know what your thoughts are on that because we, we clearly saw some uh, amazing uh, elite teams this year. I think uh, not just my bias or our bias as people that know this league really well. I think the performances in the NCAA tournament bear it out, Aaron. And uh, as I just uh, observed to one of my players in a year-end meeting, had they seeded the tournament differently, we might have seen three or four NESCAC teams in the Final Four. I, I think the league is remarkably strong, and I think maybe this helps. It won't be us because we're going to make sure we know our fate before we walk into that room a year from now. But if, God willing, there is another NESCAC team on the bubble next year uh, that would be the fifth NESCAC team in, maybe they get in next year because of what happened this year. And when, you know, going in after the season ended, were you considered Bates being on the bubble or you pretty much, I mean, did you guys watch the selection show at all or anything like that? We did. We were clearly on the bubble. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of it had to do with uh, our strength of schedule. We had one of the top strengths of schedules yeah. in the country. Um, we also had, quote, no bad losses. Mm -hmm. uh, did it help us to get pounded the way we did against Amherst? Uh, it did not. Um, especially because that first game, you know, we were both fighting for home field yeah. in the NESCAC. And so uh, for us, it was like this was our day to make our stand, and they just were a lot better than us on, on that day. But, um, no, we were clearly on the bubble. Um, you know, we were right there, and we just, unfortunately, we surrendered our fate to other people by not beating Williams, Tufts, or Amherst. Um, had we won either one, any one of those games, I think we're probably in a very different spot. But because we didn't, we then became dependent on other people to, to win, and we needed all the favorites to win. So as soon as we saw, especially the Centennial League results, uh, that gave me an idea that we might be in trouble. Of the games you touched on, the teams you touched on, really the only team where it wasn't really close was the, the Amherst games. What about Amherst this year in particular made them such a tough matchup, you thought? I am still trying to figure that out. <laughs> okay. um, I think they played extraordinarily well on the days that we played them. Mm -hmm. um, just about everything that could go right for them did, uh, and not many things went right for us. I also think just because they play our game, uh, or we play theirs, yeah. <laughs> um, and they have really extraordinarily 
great athletes uh, and coaches to do it with. Um, that it may be that in the future, while I don't feel this way necessarily about Tufts because we've experienced beating Tufts in a shootout, um, since 2017, uh, we have not experienced beating Amherst in a shootout. And so it may be that we have to adjust our style a little bit. We're still going to play fast, but maybe we're going to be a little bit more aware of uh, the shot clock and quality shots against them. But but we'll figure that out. I, I just, like I said, I, I think most of it is um, how they played. But I also think that when you're Bates and you take so much pride and you invest so much energy in playing this style that's really been successful for us, when somebody else is beating you with that style, I do think it, it makes you play different. And I think it makes you a little bit tighter. Um, and so in the first quarter of the second game, uh, we were right where we thought we were going to be. And we, were, we had made some adjustments that helped us, I think, on both sides of the ball. And I thought we all stood there at the end of the first quarter going, okay, this is what we thought it was going to be against Amherst and be a great 18-17-2019 game. Yeah. Um, and then they went on a run, as they do. And, uh, and we didn't react great. You touched on meeting with the players after the season ends, kind of go over some things. What are these meetings typically like? Uh, they're really rewarding and really valuable. Um, while my door is open and my players all know that, to have a prescribed period of time where we are, we know that the only mission is to is to communicate openly and honestly um, for the minutes that they're in here. I always learn a lot. I lot uh, learn a lot, including some things that I don't know that are going on with them, either academically or personally, or the fact that we have a bunch of really great guitar players uh, on our team. It turns out, um, but it also allows me to listen and allows us to develop action plans together, which is really really helpful. Matt Lestava, obviously the headliner this year for Bates. Obviously, teams were focused on him, so he racked up the assists, all-time assist leader. Now he's only, you know, he's going to be a senior next year. But um, what what about his game? Really, you saw, you know, take to the next level this year, perhaps. Well, you you just started me in a great place. Um, you know, I think we all looked at Matt last year and went, okay, Matt, uh, you had a really phenomenal opening year, but you were also surrounded by a number of other All-Americans, and, and it turns out a bunch of the best players that, that we've had in the history of this program. Um, let's see what you do as a sophomore. And he proved to all of us uh, that he could be pretty darn good um, with a little bit different surrounding cast. So he did that again this year, and I thought stepped up his dodging game uh, to really his best level, um, and just took on the mantle of responsibility. You know, he was that much more responsible for our successful play, and so, I think that was all hugely positive, uh, and I think the next place in any great attackman's uh, evolution as a senior, but I think especially Matt with, with his teammates and with our level of competition, is you know, realizing that I don't have to all to do this myself. And, and Matt would be the first one to admit that we played our best lacrosse when that ball was just moving so fast and nobody knew where it was going to end up. Um, and I think what happens if you're a great player, and I think it, it happened to Matt, I think it happened to Brett, I think it happened to Curtis, I think it happened to Jack Scribner, I think it happened to a lot of people. Um, probably Rocco on the, on the defensive end, uh, Eli facing off. I think when, when we start to get really, really conscious of what I have to do to change this, I think we all start naturally playing differently. Um, but I, I thought he had a sensational year, and, and part of my support for him um, as a potential All-American, and it's nice to see that his NESCAC peers and New England peers respect him so greatly, is his role on our team is different than Evan Wolf's on Amherst's team, uh, than either Danny Murphy um, you know, or Ben Connolly on, on, on their team, than any of the attackmen on, on Williams. Um, 
you know, Matt's hugely responsible for how we go. And, uh, and, and he understands that, and we all understand that. But, no, I was really, really proud of his year, and, and I look forward to, to, to having him be a senior. All right, and so obviously, you know, in, on the defensive side, Rocco and Steven, these guys have been stalwarts back there. They're, they're seniors, so they're graduating. Uh, who are some guys who um, could possibly fill their shoes looking going forward, perhaps? Yeah, I don't know if we will. Uh, I mean, those guys have such different games, mm-hmm. but also such unique games. Uh, I think it's a little bit easier um, to try to think about who might replace Steven, just because Steven, when you think Steven, you just think incredibly solid you know, strong, physically strong, in great shape, you know, leader, uh, communicator leader. Rocco's got a really unique game in ter- that fits really well with our style in terms of his ability to con- cause turnovers, ability to pick the ball up off the ground, and how important he is in our clearing game and in our transition offensive game. So um, I think that's a little bit hard to predict. Uh, but I can also tell you that in the last couple weeks of the season and through short term here, seeing those young guys, you know, without the seniors at practice, so... Okay, start filling the holes, guys. Uh, it's really exciting. And, and to see some of the people, obviously, having Frankie Spitz out, Frankie's a really important player for us. And having Frankie battle injury the way that he did, especially in the last you know, quarter or third or whatever that was, that was a big, that was a big, we really felt that. But you saw Will Holland really step up. Yeah. Um, I, I thought you saw some of the younger guys, it didn't necessarily translate into playing time, but I thought you saw Liam Orfici and, uh, uh, and John Farrell, two first-year guys, Really, really, really step up. Um, you know, I think we've got great people competing. The other thing to remember is that while Rocco and Steven jump out at you um, because they have been starting for a couple of years, uh, we also gr- just graduate a lot of defensemen. Mm-hmm. And so our sort of our tone, our manner, our personality was sort of dominated at that end of the field by those guys. And now we've got, you know, some young up-and-comers. Quite honestly, Aaron... Our biggest decisions are going to make who's are, are who's going to be a close defenseman and who's going to be a pole. Mm. We have a bunch of guys who can do both, um, and that's going to be really fun to watch. What I'm telling all of them, all the returners this summer, is play both. Yeah. Uh, we'll figure it out when you get back. Sure. So, you know, you look at where Bates is in the NESCAC right now. What are some areas of improvement you're really emphasizing for the team to get to that level of Tufts and Amherst like you were, you know, a few years ago? Well, I think getting bigger and stronger. Mm has a whole lot to do with it. And um, you look at those people, again, I, I know that I'm not the only person in those games that we played Amherst where you just felt like, wow, there's another really fast guy running really fast. Yeah. <laughs> and so we have to be faster. Um, but we also, something that we really pointed to throughout the year, and that has been a huge point of, of emphasis for all of us um, since the season ended, is ground balls. Mm. and none of us, certainly not me, have ever been part of really successful lacrosse teams that were out-ground-balled consistently, and we were out-ground-balled consistently, and part of that goes to the face-off game where there are, you know, somebody's winning and somebody's losing a a ground ball every single time, but it's way beyond that, and it's in your offensive end, and it's in your defensive end, and it's in the middle of the field, and so, again, I believe being faster and stronger – really impacts that number as well. And so that's sort of my quickest answer. Continue to get faster, continue to get stronger, take advantage of the fact that we have Mike Seltzer, who's a really extraordinary strength and conditioning guy, and uh, we're going to continue to borrow from his genius. And we're also, quite honestly, uh, the staff went and spent some time with the Yale staff preseason, 
and you know they're pretty famously doing some different things in strength and conditioning. And uh, so we are borrowing liberally from their plan. Well, didn't Yale have some face-off guy who went like went all undefeated against Harvard or something crazy? So they have <laughs> they have they have T D Erlen yeah. who has not just done that to Harvard, he's done that to a lot of people. Yeah. And he gradu uh, he transferred from Albany to Yale, uh -huh. and so he was one of the most successful face-off guys in the country yeah. for his first two years, and now the defending national champion has T.D. Erlen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yes, T.D. was pretty damn good be before he got to Yale, but he also has benefited from right. the Yale strength and conditioning program, I believe. Well, do you tell your face-off guys to watch tape of D1 guys, or is it not really applicable for us? We absolutely. We tell, yeah, them, yeah. To, we tell them to watch the best, yeah. whether they're in Division three or Division two or Division mm -hmm. one, Watch the people that are the most successful and, yeah. and learn from them. Great, great. So, what are your thoughts on this past season, and um, did you see improvement from the previous year? And, and you know, what you're most looking forward to? Um, I guess you know, less, a little bit less than a year from now. <laughs> My most basic measure is: Are we better than we were last year? Mm -hmm. And we were better than we were last mm -hmm. year. Yeah. And if you measure that in wins and losses, you check that box. Uh, to me, it was really important that we beat three uh, NESCAC teams that we had not beaten sure. the year before, right. because to me. Survival in this league is putting teams behind you one by one. Mm -hmm. And we did that in a really significant way. Obviously, starting our NESCAC year by beating the defending national champion and the team that was then ranked number one in the country and the team, as you know, that had ended both our 2017 yes. and 2018 seasons, that was something that I'm really proud of and that really energized this program. Um, and then playing, you know, again, Middlebury has... Uh, hurt us a couple times in the last few years as well. So being able to, to come out and play really, really strong lacrosse against both of those teams I thought was huge. And again, winning seven games in the most competitive league in the country, maybe in the most competitive year of its existence, is really important and really significant and something to be really proud of. Um, having said that, we have really high standards in this program, as you know, and we want to get to the NCAA tournament every year and we want to do damage in the NCAA tournament every year so not winning our way into the tournament was something that makes us all really motivated and really excited and I think while the 2020 classes across the board in the NESCAC might demonstrate the most successful year that we all had in recruiting uh, ever um, but it's going to be a really exciting year Amherst is going to hopefully win the national championship on Sunday um, and so we'll have another defending yeah. uh, champ in this league, which would be really, really exciting for them and for this league. But we know how good Amherst is going to be. We know how good Tufts is going to be. We know how good Williams is going to be. We believe we're going to be really good. And so uh, I'm really proud of the steps forward that we took this year, and I'm really excited about continuing to take steps forward next year um, and get back to the NCAA tournament where we believe we, we will thrive. Peter Lasagna, thank you so much. Thank you, Aaron. I really appreciate it. Finally, an update on the women's club ultimate team, Cold Front. Cold Front traveled to College Station, Texas, and encountered a heat wave playing in temperatures that neared 100 degrees. But Bates still took second in the country for the second straight year, falling to Oberlin in the final. Next time on the Bates Bobcast, we'll recap the NCAA track and field championships, plus a look back at the Bates tennis and women's lacrosse seasons, and we'll preview the NCAA rowing championships. The Bates women are going for their third straight title. Talk to you next week on the Bates Bobcast.